Thank you. Hi. What a pleasure to be speaking this morning. Um, yeah, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Naomi Johnston, and I'm a missionary. Boy, we've said that word a lot just in that two minutes. Missionary, good times. Um, so I'm Naomi. Uh, I have a husband, Glyn. Uh, there, yep, great. And um, <laughs> just checking that he's in the room. Um, and a three-year-old daughter, Mina May. And we're all going to pile into an aeroplane when they're legal again and head over to Hungary. Um, so Hungary, for those of you that don't know, is sort of Eastern Europe area. Um, yes, and at the moment we're studying out at East West College. Has anyone here heard of East West College? It's sort of out in Gordonton. It's a mission school, has a little bit of theology, but basically it's teaching you how to be a better missionary. Um, that's it. I've got to stop saying that word. Um, so we've been a part of Hamilton Elam now for about 12 years, um, and you may not have actually met me yet, but um, I, I, I help with all the graphic design here, so if you've seen any sermon designs or newsletters and stuff, I've been involved in that, um, but slowly stepping back, which I keep telling Ants. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he thinks I'm going to be doing the designs from Budapest, <laughs> but um, we may have to have a chat about that. Um, yes. I've, I grew up in Flaxmere, which is a little small suburb in Hawke's Bay, which is on the east coast of New Zealand. And um, I, I had what you would call an idyllic childhood. It was really great. I went to the river every weekend. I, I went up to Mata Peak, if anyone knows that area. And that's just where you used to, used to hang out sometimes. And, um, and we just had a really good childhood. Um, I'm the oldest of six, seven. Sorry, Jemima. I'm the oldest of seven children, which is not really normal unless you're homeschooled, which I also am. <laughs> so a lot of um, things going on there. Um, and we were raised in a really Christian home. And uh, looking back over my life in the past few months, I've been trying to figure out what it is that made me choose to be a missionary, because it's a bit of a weird thing. Oh, I keep forgetting to do this. This is my family. Um, and on a good day, we're all smiling. Um, some of you may not have seen Glenn's teeth before, but there they are. He's smiling. He's happy in that photo with Mina, which is also a good time. Um, yes, but anyway, I was, I was trying to figure out this last few months um, what it was that made me want to be a missionary because I didn't really want to be a missionary. So what's going on? And um, I, I was able to pinpoint it back to one moment. So... Um, this isn't a regular story, and I don't want people to think that this is common. This is just my, this is what happened for me. Um, so one weekend, I was at the playground with three of my friends, my sister included, and uh, we were hanging out on the slide, which was the, the cool part of the playground. I don't know if there's a hierarchy in playgrounds anymore, but back in those days, being able to climb 10 steps and slide on down, that was the height of the playground obviously, and um, we were having a really good discussion about which butterfly clips were most on trend and how many strings of hair to add to your string fringe, which, yeah, was the height of fashion, and uh, we were having this uh, riveting discussion when another group of girls came up and wanted to play in the playground as well, and they went over to the swing section, and were hanging out over there, and now I found, I don't know why, but I, um, I'm quite a confident person, and for some reason, I felt like I needed to maintain eye contact with one of the girls in the other group just to show them that I wasn't 
you know, going to be messed around and we will be staying here on the slide. And I held this eye contact for just a little bit too long, I think, and uh, ended it with a quip of some sort, probably along the lines of, um, don't push us off this playground or something along those lines. And um, anyway, start, the tensions start to rise and um, <clears throat> things are about to get heated when a Māori warden walks over. So I don't know if any of you know Māori wardens. In Hawke's Bay, we had appointed three or four Māori wardens to just walk around the public areas and just keep the peace because flax can be a bit rough sometimes. So that we would have these Māori wardens walking around just maintaining peace. And um, he kicked the other girls sort of off the playground for some reason, and we were allowed to continue playing. And then we decided we were going to head home. Now, being the type of person I am, we could have gone two ways to get home. We could have gone, you know, the safe way, where we definitely knew that those kids had not gone, or we could walk right through past them, um, hoping that they had left, but just to show our dominance in the area. Now, my three friends were all for the, in favour for the idea of going the safe way home, and I was like, nope. We don't get pushed around here, we will go this way home and we will do what we want. And so we did. And as we passed a particularly large tree, all the girls swarmed in behind us. And now we're walking home with this group following us. And as we walk through the um, little shopping centre village, more kids join their group. I don't know how, maybe they, were, they had more friends than I did, probably, <laughs> for good reason. And um, so by the time we get to this uh, set of alleyways, there's 17 kids in this group behind the four of us. And we're thinking, okay, we're in a bit of trouble now. And we're about to walk through an alleyway. So that, for those of you that don't know, it's like uh, tin aluminium walls on both sides and very narrow and not much space at the ends. You just kind of, yeah. So there's these two alleyways and we're like, we've got to send someone ahead to go get mum. It's very humiliating, but we just needed to do it. So someone needs to go ahead and get mum and call the cops. <laughs> so um, we nominated the girl who had just won the cross country, <laughs> which was not me, <laughs> it was not me, and um, we nominated her and we counted to three, one, two, three, two of them took off. Why? Why, Kimberly, why? And um, <laughs> me and my sister, we both did not want to lead this group of kids to our house. We didn't want them to know where we lived. Um, so we decided to just stay. And this group swarmed around us, and, and we were getting harassed. I remember having to give them my $2 shop sunglasses and my $2 shop watch, and really starting to cry, while my sister just kind of staunched them out like this. And she, she was the one that had been pro the Safeway, so she was probably just like, Naomi, what have you done? And um, I'm, a, I'm a wreck. Anyway, we heard sirens, and um, the kids were like, their mum's coming, and then they took off. And um, that, that we were saved. So Christina had done her job, and she had saved us. Um, but the thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that our group were a Pākehā, and their group were Māori. And I didn't really recognize this at the time, that this was a dynamic that needed to be addressing. I just assumed that we were having fun on the playground, and they were having fun, and now we're not. But I think my dad understood the dynamic of what had just happened. And 
When we went around in the cop cars trying to find these girls, we found a few of them, but a lot of them were underage. One of them was 16, so she was going to take the rap for the whole lot. And she had a prior history with the police, so she was going to go to juvie. Now, my dad managed to talk them down to PD, which, for those that don't know, means that you wear a humiliating pair of orange overalls and you go around picking up rubbish. And so he said, maybe we could just do it that, that she comes around and, and cleans people's houses instead of having to go out on the street. And Naomi, maybe you should do it with her. Now, I don't know about you guys in your countries of origin, but when someone does the bullying and someone is getting bullied, you don't both go and do PD together afterwards. You just don't. However, I think my dad understood what was happening right now was a pivotal moment where his daughter is probably going to start noticing that colour or culture may have been a factor here when I hadn't ever noticed this before. And I think he wanted to really make sure that I understood what was going on and that it, it, and he wanted me to not come out of this racist. And um, so I did the PD with her and we would go to her house on a Saturday morning and we would pick her up and first thing I noticed is how different her house was and her living environment. And I, I had Māori and Islander friends, but um, they were Christian, they were from our church. But this is different, this is like completely different culture completely different. They'd grown up very differently from us. And, um, and I just remember thinking that there is a difference now. I understand there's a difference. But I also understand what's happening. Like, her house was just so different. And this was something to do on a Saturday afternoon. And I can't explain what's going through her head. But I know that at the end of the PD, we were friends. And I, I have never looked back at that and thought that it was because of their skin colour or their culture. And I just want to shout out to my dad for that. He did a really great job navigating that. But this was my first really pivotal cross-cultural experience, and I think my dad handled it in a way that was very wise. Yeah, Without realising it, when I moved to Hamilton 10 years ago, my friendship circle went from being quite multicultural to being very white, very Pākehā. And I think it's because in Hamilton, it's a bigger city, and so there's more people to choose from and align yourself with, and you naturally just sit where you're comfortable. So I think the exception to this rule is, is like university, where you're mingling again, maybe church, where you're mingling. Um, if you're in an intercultural marriage or relationship, you'll find yourself with uh, people that are different to you, but naturally you end up sitting a lot with the people that are similar to you, and I found myself very much surrounded by Pākehā, except for church. Church was very intercultural. As you can see, if you look around now, there's a number of different cultures here. That's purposeful. We wanted this church to be intercultural. We wanted the people to feel like they were at home here, no matter where you come from. Yeah, that's good. So... I think, I think without meaning to, I had separated myself a little bit from different cultures. So that's my cultural background. That's, those are some of the bigger experiences I've had culturally in my past. But now I just want to switch tack a little bit and look at the missionary part. Like, why am I choosing 
not to stay here, but why am I choosing to go and be a missionary? Now, three years ago, I had an experience that set me up directly on the path of being a missionary, and that was when I was watching a movie with my dad. Again, my dad's involved. Very pivotal, this guy. <laughs> and we were watching... <laughs> Yeah, he is a great dad. He is a great dad. And um, we were watching a movie, and it, and it was on the TV, and um, there were ads and stuff. And I remember we had just flicked over to it, and we caught it sort of at the start. And it was about a UN woman who was part of the UN, who, was, who had moved to Eastern Europe in hopes of infiltrating a human trafficking ring. And now uh, the story also follows a young girl who's based in Europe who at the age of 15 gets kidnapped and is taken to a different country and is forced into prostitution. And the story is how these two meet or how their stories intertwine. And it's very rough and, 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 and maybe if you come and talk to me afterwards, I'll recommend the name, but I don't want to widely recommend it because it's very, very violent and very moving. And in the end, the girl dies in the end, she's not rescued. In the end, the bad guys win. And this lady in the UN finds out that it's the UN that's involved in the trafficking ring. She finds out that men on her floor of the UN are trafficking these girls over the border because they don't get checked, because they have diplomatic immunity. And I just remember feeling a big sense of injustice at this story. Because in the end, the bad guys win. And she goes to the UN um, <clears throat> and they don't do anything about it. And then she goes to the BBC with all the files that she's stolen. And even then, not much is done. Like, now it's public, but what do you do with information like that? Do you disband the UN? It's just, it's too big. And I remember talking to my dad and being like, Dad, why do, did I go through my teenage life and not choose God? I walked away from him so many times in my heart. And I I ignored his call on my life for so long, and then this girl, maybe she had the opportunity to go to youth group once in Europe, which is really old-fashioned and traditional, and she decided it wasn't for her, and then she gets kidnapped, and then she dies. Where does she go? What happens to her? Why did I get a thousand chances and she gets maybe one? What, where's the fairness and the equality in that? And what do we do with that information? And I think Dad said something really wise. He was like, I don't actually know. I don't know. I can't answer all those questions. That's a lot. The Christian church has been discussing this for thousands of years, probably hundreds of years, actually. And um, we don't have the answers to all of this. We could argue about this all day. However, if we don't go, who will? And so I just want to turn to a verse in Romans that has become very important to me over the past couple of days, especially, but it's been mellowing for a few months now. In Romans 10. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So that was the weekend I decided that I was going to go and do something, and I was going to share what I had. 
And um, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. Uh, Glenn also was on his own journey. It's really important if you're going as a couple that you go as a couple, that one person doesn't hold all the cards. And so Glenn was on his own journey and eventually he also decided that we should go to Europe. Now, once we started doing this, we found ourselves stepping out of the Western kind of comfort and control that we usually have here. And we found ourselves being put in a situation where it's not going to happen unless God wants it to happen. And that's really scary. So, for instance, we were going to go on a vision trip. For those that don't know vision trip, it's like a three to five week trip where you go to the country and work with the team that you want to work with and just see if you're a good match. And so we wanted to go on this vision trip. But a few weeks out from it, we didn't have all the money that we really needed to go on this trip. Um, but two months beforehand, when I was washing my hands, I lost the diamond out of my wedding ring. It was a big diamond. We'd won it doing a donkey race. Come and ask me for that story. <laughs> we had won this incredible diamond before we were even engaged, hint, hint. And um, we put it on my wedding ring, and then I had kept it for 10 years, nine years, and I was washing my hands and it fell out. And I pulled, the, I pulled the pipes out and I did the crying and I did the, God, if you just help me find this, I'll do this. I did everything to try and find this diamond. And I was like, I'll be the girl in that parable. I won't stop looking until I find it. And I quit, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> it, was really, it was really horrendous. But what happened is that we got an insurance payout and that paid for our tickets to Budapest. <laughs> Yay, go God, he's really showing me. So there's a, there was a pattern starting to emerge where we would lose things that were really valuable to us, that were heart-wrenching and just took a lot to let go of, but they were carving the way for us to do this mission. And there's heaps of these stories. This is only one. We were forced to rely on God. So we went to Hungary and we came back knowing two things. One, we're gonna move there. So we really enjoyed the team and they really enjoyed us. Thank goodness, that was a risk. And um, the second thing is that we knew we wanted to work with the Roma people. So for those of you that don't know the Roma people, they are otherwise known as Romani or Roma gypsies. Um, they're quite nomadic, but the word gypsy is now a derogatory term. So I use that so that you understand where we're at, but we're not gonna use that word again. So they're the Romani people. Um, they have slightly less rights than everybody else. And they're living in really rubbish conditions, basically. So the Romani are a nomadic people that, that uh, traveled a lot, but have now, especially in Hungary, chosen to settle, but they live on the outskirts of society. Their past includes being enslaved by the Europeans, and at one point the English government also passed a law that being Roma or living a gypsy lifestyle was a felony punishable by death. So imagine being part of a people group that just by being who you are, you could die. And 220,000 Roma were killed in the Holocaust, which was absolutely massive for their community. It was huge loss, huge devastation. So over in Slovakia, which is nearby, the leader in charge has an idea that he wants to take the, the Roma children away from their parents and put them in state boarding, state boarding schools. So this is, what, this is how people are treating Roma at the moment in our current modern world. And um, 
he, that he wants them to assimilate into the culture. So I just wanted to give you guys sort of an understanding of the people group that we feel called to, uh, to work with. And it's not because we are super Christian, it's just because we have a calling and a desire to make some change and this is where it's led. So I really, um, I really just want to encourage you all, if you have something that's on your heart or an issue that's really important to you, I would encourage you to really follow that heartstring and see where it goes. Because I think that's why we're all here. I think that's why we're here. In my opening story, when we chose our friend to run off ahead and get my mum, we weren't choosing her because we wanted her to uh, get out of it and, and us to get a hiding. We weren't saving her, although she was saved. She was saved in order to turn around and bring help back with her. And I think in the Christian church, we sometimes have this discussion about whether God chose us or whether we chose God. And there's two fundamental beliefs there that we've, you know, some people believe this way and some people believe this way. And they both might be right, I don't know. All I know is that you are saved. If you're Christian and you're in this room right now, you're saved. Cool, cool stuff. We all get to, you know, live eternally and not damnation. That's great. But I think the point is that you're saved in order to save other people. So it's, the issue is not like how you're saved. The issue is for what are you saved? And from what have you been saved? Turn back around or look at some other people and pull them up with you. I think in the Bible we can look at stories like Abraham and we, for me, I started to question like, why did God pick Abraham? Like, yeah, he had faith, but probably so did a hundred other people in his day. Why did God pick Abraham? Why did God pick Joseph to be leader of Egypt? Why did God pick Esther? All these people were chosen to turn around and help the people around them. They were chosen for what they were going to do, right? So if you have been chosen, if you are Christian and you call yourself Christian and you have professed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are saved. But I encourage you to use that safety to turn around and encourage the world around you to come with you. Bring people with you. This past week, we've been learning about how the missionaries came to New Zealand. Missionary can be a bit of a dirty word here in New Zealand because there's mixed reviews how the missionaries did here. Um, some of them came with good intentions, some with not so good intentions. They all thought that they were coming to help. So this past few months has been us learning how to go overseas in a way that will help the people. Like how much of your good intention to leave behind and how much to take with you. And that's been really hard for us. But I think it's helping us to turn around and look at the situation of the people and what do they actually want and how can we give it to them rather than here's all the stuff we can help you with, which I think is what went so wrong the first time that I heard about all this. So can I encourage you guys to just take this week to look around you and really notice the people that are in your sphere of influence and think about what you have that they don't have and the reason why you were chosen in that group to carry the gospel. 
Why did God pick you? Because I don't think I'm any better than that girl that died in Europe after being used and abused. But, but I have a responsibility now to do something with this privilege, right? We are all privileged people here. What are you going to do with it? So we're going to spend the rest of the year at East West College learning how not to do it. And then uh, in February, we're going to pile into a camper van, hopefully, and travel around New Zealand, raising our support to get to leave, and then we're going to go. And we're so happy that you guys are supporting us and sending us. You are sending us to go do this work. So we thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, that's all I have to say. I hope it has been touching. Can I pray? Father God, I think you know that we are all ordinary people here without you. And um, but you chose us for some reason. And Father God, I just pray that you help us to really um, let, let our compassion and our empathy really just sit at the top for a little bit and just help us to see who are the people around us that you saved us to save. Um, how, are, how can we reach out better? How can we turn around and, and look behind us as we move forward? Please help us not to be comfortable in our comfortable world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.